everyone, and thank you for listening to this uh, quite brief podcast just about the origin of prokaryotes and eukaryotes. So let's start by just defining really what we mean by those two terms. So when we think about eukaryotes, what we're talking about are organisms that have membrane-bound organelles. So if we think about the nucleus, for example, the nucleus is a perfect example of a membrane-bound organelle. It's a component within a cell, it has the nuclear envelope around it, and it has the nuclear material inside. So we're talking things like animal cells, plant cells, even fungi, for example. They're all eukaryotic cells. Prokaryotes refer to things like bacteria and cyanobacteria because they don't have membrane-bound organelles. They don't have a nucleus, for example. Instead, they have what's called a nucleosome, just a mass of loose DNA within the cell and other little circular rings of DNA called plasmids. What I want to do in this particular podcast, though, is talk about the origin of these two things. And I'll start by looking at membranes and what are called protobionts, because that's really where the story begins. To form the first cells, membranes were needed to separate cytoplasm and its metabolism from the surrounding fluid. Now, phospholipids naturally group together. When I talk about phospholipids, phospholipids are the primary component of membranes. Phospholipids naturally group together to form bilayers in water. And these bilayers form spherical structures, enclosing a droplet of fluid, similar to the vesicles that are now found in cells. Water containing these membrane-bound microspheres is called coacivate and it's viscous and cloudy in appearance. Because of their hydrophobic or water-hating, if you like, properties, bilayers of phospholipid would have allowed an internal environment to develop, different from the surrounding environment. These primitive cell-like structures that may have preceded living cells are called protobionts. To become cells, they would have to have developed genetic mechanisms, to allow reproduction and the transmission of characteristics to offspring. The details though of this transition are not yet fully understood. Let's think a little bit now about prokaryotes and the early atmosphere. Because the first organisms on earth to use photosynthesis for the synthesis of organic compounds were prokaryotes. When these organisms started to use water as a source of hydrogen in photosynthesis, oxygen started being released as a waste product into the atmosphere. And there is evidence that before this time there was very little oxygen in the atmosphere. Concentrations of oxygen built up over a relatively short period, about 100 million years. And this was probably due to the activity of photosynthetic prokaryotes. Other prokaryotic organisms were able to use aerobic cell respiration rather, once the atmosphere contained oxygen gas. Now there are rocks in Greenland dating from about 3.7 to about 3.8 million years ago called the Bandidian Formation and that gives evidence of oxygen in the atmosphere. It suggests that prokaryotic cells had evolved and were producing oxygen by then. Among existing organisms, photosynthetic bacteria in hot springs and other extreme environments are probably most similar to these early prokaryotes. Now, when I, when I teach about mitochondria, particularly when I'm, I'm 
uh, covering the topic of photosynthesis, I, I talk about the structure and how they have what are called 70S ribosomes, and then I talk about how prokaryotic cells have that, and we try and make a sort of connection between the two, but we don't really get to delve into it, which is why I'm really enjoy, enjoying the fact that in this podcast, I can go into much more detail into an area that I find fascinating. It's called the endosymbiotic theory, and it goes a little like this. Eukaryotic cells contain mitochondria and chloroplasts. And those two organelles are not found in prokaryotic cells. If eukaryotic cells evolve from prokaryotic cells, then the origin of these organelles must be explained. Now, according to this endosymbiotic theory, both mitochondria and chloroplasts have evolved from independent prokaryotic cells and were taken into larger heterotrophic cells by endocytosis. Now, instead of being digested, the cells were kept alive and they continued to carry out aerobic respiration and photosynthesis. The characteristics of mitochondria and chloroplasts support the endosymbiotic theory. So I just want to talk through some of those kind of supporting arguments. They grow and they divide like cells. They have a naked loop of DNA, like prokaryotes. They synthesize some of their own proteins using the smaller 70S ribosomes, like prokaryotes. When I say smaller, it's because eukaryotic cells have the 80S type. They have double membranes, as expected when cells are taken into a vesicle by endocytosis. Some biologists have suggested that flagella and cilia also have this endosymbiotic origin, but the evidence for this is far less clear. But what we can say is that the evolution of eukaryotes from prokaryotes did not just involve the development of mitochondria, chloroplasts, and possibly cilia and flagella. Eukaryotic chromosomes, meiosis, and sexual reproduction also had to evolve. Once this had happened, evolution could take place at a much more rapid pace than before, and there was what sometimes has been described as an explosion of life on Earth. So we have just a short podcast about the origin of prokaryotes and eukaryotes and I'd like to make a couple more about the really origins of life on earth talking about the origin of organic compounds and the role of RNA in the origin of life but I'll save that for a separate occasion so all that really remains is for me to say thank you all for listening to this one hope you enjoyed it <laughs>